0: Hey everyone, my name is Brandon Boyd and I'm hanging out with Rob on Front Row Live.
1: Brandon, what's up, man? It's so good to reunite with you. It's been a few years since the last time we got to talk about music. And I'm super excited about this new record that you have uh, that's out now, Echoes and Cocoons. I'm in love with this record. Um, It's so experimental. It's so different. It's, it's, you know, I'm used to obviously like everything else that you've created, but this is like, I feel like you put on a different pair of shoes this time around Mm. and just went on a different journey and brought us on a different journey. Mm. Uh, What for you personally, like what really inspired this, uh, this new album for you? And um, was this something that has been trying to come out of you for some time?
0: Mm. Thank you. First and foremost, I really appreciate the, the compliment on the record. It's um always nice when you put your heart and soul and blood, sweat and tears into something and then um people enjoy it. <laughs> it's not I don't think it's it's why people make art or make music um well, for some of us, but it's always a lovely um, addition to the process if it, people respond to it and have, you know, sort of visceral reactions to it. So thank you. Um, it was definitely one of the weirdest recording experiences I've ever had because it was recorded entirely during um, which I have never experienced anything like that. I don't think anybody alive really has, um, at least here you know, in, in America, I can only speak for us, but um, truth be told the record probably wouldn't have existed. It would probably wouldn't have been made had it not been for the strange circumstances around, you know, Incubus was planning on uh, going on tour. We had a big U S tour planned with 311 for 2020. And we were really looking forward to it. Those are old friends of ours. And we hadn't been on tour with them in many, many years. And that went away. We also had uh, a European UK tour planned which we were very excited about because it's been a minute since we've been abroad. So um, I just found myself in a situation like many other people where it was like, everything stopped for a period of time. And um, it was very, very, very strange. Um, So I just started writing music on my own and as I kind of do anyway, but I just had more kind of like time I suppose to do that. I had the blessing of time to do that. Um, And then sometime sort of deep into the lockdown, I ended up reaching out to uh, the record producer and songwriter, John Congleton. And he and I put our heads together and in pretty short order, we made a record. So it probably wouldn't have happened had we not been sort of in that forced period of time. And the whole record was recorded uh, remotely. Like, we didn't actually meet each other in person until after it was mixed. We went and had a, an outdoor coffee. <laughs> and I think the parting thought was, hey, let's make a record in a studio together sometime, you know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And
1: I I never knew who John was uh, until recently when I started researching. Mm-hmm. And I listened to, to his band, The Paper Chase, and now Nighty Night. And I totally understand, like why you chose to work with John for an, a record like this. Mm-hmm. His music is so experimental and I feel like that's what you did with this with this record. Yeah. Uh, you did mention early in this interview that it was the weirdest record to, re- to record, but at the same time, I feel like it might have been the funnest record to record because there was it seems like there was no rules. You did whatever you wanted, whatever you felt like doing. Mm-hmm. So in creating these these sounds that we hear that we listen to on, on all 10 tracks, what was like, I, I feel like you did it in conventionally. Like it wasn't just an instrument. It wasn't just, you know, plugins. I feel like you created sounds from scratch. Is that mm-hmm. safe to say?
0: For the most part. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always been really kind of like lo-fi in my approach to vocals and writing. I, I write lyrics down in with a, a pen onto paper. I record my vocals into a microphone I don't use auto-tune I sing it until it's right you know what I mean like I create um, I've been doing this for years with Incubus too and I've learned some amazing sort of recording techniques and things from all of the amazing producers that we've worked with over the years but um, I love recording um, like kind of like uh, like pads we'll call them of vocals where they'll be like a lead, but then there'll be like ten vocals beneath it that are all mixed in together, and they create like this like layer that kind of pushes through the listener's ears. Um, and sometimes they are mixed well enough where it feels almost like it's like a keyboard back there. But a lot of times that sound that sounds like a keyboard is actually like ten of my vocals sort of all mixed beautifully in stereo. And these are all things that now with our you know home recording technologies we can do at home with relative ease. Um, as much fun as it is to record in an actual recording studio and have all of the, the, the buttons and the bells and the whistles and the processors and all these things, um, it's there's something deeply gratifying about having my little humble setup at home. You know, where it's just uh, the right microphone and the right mood, <laughs> I can make a record right here at home. So it was it was really fun, and it was a wonderful. Um, way to also make sense of the strangeness of the period of time in which it was recorded because it was a deeply odd period of time for lack of a better way of describing it. You know, it was, it was tragic and weird and horrific, but it was also um, weirdly kind of revelatory in certain ways. I feel like there was like almost like, and there still are like these different kind of quasi cultural reckonings happening all over the place where people are like realizing these things like that I hate this job and I've always hated it and it took this weird you know like a uh, societal global circumstance to really highlight like I hate this job like I'm, I'm not going to go back you know or um I love this job and I miss the people that I get to go and work with every day or um my uncle so-and-so is always now Facebook just proved it to me, you know, <laughs> all these like tiny revelations that are constantly happening. There's a lot of really dark shit that continues to happen. But I think that there's also a lot of, um, there are a lot of positives that we can focus on as well. So uh, I like focusing on the sort of optimistic elements of things.
1: And when writing this record, like, did you feel that this was pretty much writing itself? Like were these lyrics just flowing or did you know, like coming into it, like, okay, this is the identity. This is what I'm working on.
0: I had nothing coming into it. I had just started to record at home, some basic ideas um, around certain topics, but um, John and I started to share musical ideas back and forth over email and FaceTime and stuff. And uh, it just kind of stuff just started pouring out. The record happened pretty, pretty quickly. As far as writing is concerned, there was no shortage of things to write about. You know, it was definitely, a period of time that was pregnant with potential about what needed to be talked about, even from a personal point of view, but you can scale, you can always scale a personal experience or a personal point of view into a larger societal point of view. And so that's what we're attempting to do, I suppose.
1: As far as like the the experimentation, um, it's not just with with the sounds that we hear. I feel like you experimented a lot vocally. you know, obviously with Incubus, we're, we're used to hearing more of the higher registers, more of the bright sounds mm-hmm. but with this one. I felt like more of a darker kind of tone. Mm-hmm. Um, you I heard you a couple of times in your lower register. And, you know, obviously, like you've been in the industry for over 30 years, you know, being in a band. So you know how to sing like there's no question about it, mm-hmm. but changing from something so bright like what we hear in Incubus to on this record where it's like a lot darker. Um, did you find yourself having to kind of practice before recording these kind of vocals? Cause I feel like, you know, we get a more vulnerable side of your voice this time Mm -hmm.
0: around. That's a really good question. You know, I, um, we're about to go do a handful of shows and we're kind of prepping for a a summer tour as well, like like an actual tour and singing Incubus material. It's just a different it's a different voice that emerges when in the room with live guitar, live bass, live drums, keyboards, it, it, um, it wants to project a little bit more. It wants to become uh, more sort of crystalline, you know, to cut through everything. And that's how I learned how to sing. Um, but when I'm at home, I usually am strumming on uh, my old beat up guitar, with strings that have literally never been changed in like 20 years. And I just continue to tune them. And until they break, like I'll just keep (laughs) coming on it and it sounds super cool to me. And I sing in more of a conversational register when I'm home. So it ends up being like what the, what the environment uh, is demanding, I suppose. And when I'm home and recording by myself at home, the environment calls for more of a, uh, just a lower register, more of something more conversational, more introspective. And even though much of Incubus music is, in my opinion, if I could be so humble as to say, uh, introspective, <laughs> uh, it calls on a different register in my voice, which I'm so happy to to deliver. You know, it's nice now to have kind of like um, these different personalities that I can go and visit when you know when they, when they need to be visited.
1: Did you find it harder to control this, this lower register?
0: Mm -mm. If anything, it was a little bit easier. Um, Mm -hmm. It's less like uh, weightlifting and a little bit more like having a conversation. (laughs) (laughs) It's (laughs) like, you have to like train up to that kind of register, which I have in me. And it's when it works, it's really fun, but it, it, it takes some doing. We were joking about it just yesterday, how when we get together to play our songs for the first couple of days. It's a little bit like, how did we ever do this? Like how, (laughs) what what were we eating when we were like in our twenties and early thirties writing these songs? And then it takes like three days and then all of a sudden, oh, there it is. You know what I mean? (laughs) So.
1: Since you kind of mentioned that um, in the last time we spoke which was about the time you released eight, um, Mm -hmm. this was at that Zed concert. Uh, Mm -hmm. in downtown LA Um, I had asked you about or I had asked the band how like what it was like to get back into into the studio together you know Mm -hmm. after not being in the studio for so long and this ended up being an animation um, but you mentioned or you said that it felt like riding lightning Um, that was the experience that you had (laughs) that was the experience that you had that was amazing. They got my moles in there too. <laughs> but uh, did you did you find yourself experiencing this with John? Did you ever have a moment during this production where you felt like you were writing lightning with any of these tracks that
0: you wrote? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how you know you're doing it right when you feel like there's a. Uh, it's not like someone's lighting a fire under your ass. It's like the fire <laughs> exists either in the seat or in your ass. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe I should go to the doctor. I don't know. <laughs> okay. When you know you're doing it right when you have a sort of uh, a visceral, emotional um, response in your body, there's something that you you know you're doing it right when the, the thing that you made together makes the hair on your arm stand up or gives you that little chill down your spine or even sometimes... Um, evokes like an emotional response um, in you. And I feel like that is, you know, the old saying, like I feel like it's something that's kind of um, almost overused in entertainment. You know, they say like, if you're having fun, the audience is having fun, that kind of thing. There is something to it. Like when we're having fun as a band on stage performing, without a doubt, the vast majority of people in the audience are also having a good time. So I have to assume that it applies as well. Like if it's evoking some kind of emotional response or visceral response in me that where the, the hair on my skin literally stands up, there must be something to it that is um, maybe universal on a good day. That's what we hope at least. That's not why we do it. We don't, you don't, I, I can only speak for myself. I don't make music for our audience. I, I make music out of a, uh, an overwhelming Impulse, an overwhelming desire to express something and and to be in that creative process because it's it teaches you about yourself. It helps you make sense of the world and the way that you're living in it, right? Um, it is the ultimate kind of like icing and then the cherry on top of the cake if you share it and people are like, I had the same experience. This is awesome. This is an amazing form of like communication that to me sort of transcends language. You're describing uh experiences that are unique to you and then you share it and then someone who you've never met in a different part of the world and might not even speak the same language like i had the same experience that's an amazing thing and to me that's uh, uh it's like a it's miraculous as far as i'm concerned so that's one of the reasons i love doing it
1: at the same time with this with this record like i i get this like when we listen to Incubus, we know it's Incubus. When we listen to other bands, we know it's another band. When we listen to this record, it feels like you're just releasing whatever you feel like releasing. Like I mentioned earlier, it's like it, there's no specific genre. It's just like experimenting from track one to ten. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it still sounds like a cohesive body of work. Mm. Is that a challenge to do uh, something like this and finalize it and say, okay, these are the ten tracks that I'm going to use instead of like, oh, only two of these sound alike.
0: Mm. You know, I I'm definitely in sort of continual <laughs> continual process with music. I'm constantly writing and recording things. I like I said earlier, it's sort of one of the ways with which I sort of make sense of the world and my experience in it. Um, but I when we when we're writing records, whether it's Incubus or solo stuff excuse me, like I did here with John, um, we don't write like 30 songs and then pick the best ones. Like there there might be 30 ideas, 40 ideas floating around in the ether. And then we sort of, we work with what's there and then we hyper focus on 10 to 12 of them. And then that's sort of the album. And then we sort of curate it like a playlist, like which one feels like it should be first, which one's definitely last and then everything in between. So it's a little bit like you're, you're curating a story. Um, so, yeah, I, it's a hard question to answer definitively, you know, because it is creative process is a very, um, it can be confusing. It's as if you're wandering around in um, a dimly lit room and uh, looking for uh, looking for things that you might need, and maybe you have like a, a, a flashlight that's running out of batteries. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of like this happening. Oh. I found something. Look, this is amazing. Let, let, let's keep this. And, you know, and then as you go through it, like your eyes start to adjust and, you know, they dilate more and more and more and more light comes in. And then eventually the room is very brightly lit and you're like, Oh, it's a room and we've decorated, it, you know,
1: <laughs> it's a great way to put it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the caffeine talking by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, at the same time, I mean, you, you have these kinds of like, your lyrics, um, you know, listening to, listening to diamond, uh, no, a better universe. Mm -hmm. One of the lyrics that like pops in the most is, uh, did you read the book or did you just watch the movie? Mm -hmm. Um, and I probably butchered the lyric a little bit, but
0: I was close.
1: (laughs) Close (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) But when you, when you write like this particular lyric, this one sticks out, you listen to the whole song but this one sticks out like a sore thumb, and it's you know you have your meaning to it I have my meaning to it but what really inspires lyrics like this like it, are you in the moment and they just pop out and you're like whoa I, that's a great idea or like do you actively search for
0: things to write like this it's a little bit of both actually they when you're writing and I have to assume it's when you when you're painting or when you're writing a film or a TV show, or it, it's a little bit like, and this is, goes back to the idea of the creative process being a little bit nebulous. And in that kind of darkened room is that you, um, one of the wonderful things about it is that there really aren't rules. You know what I mean? Like you can, uh, there's this, uh, the, the, the David Bowie, Brian Eno thing, the cut and paste phenomenon. I've never done it myself, but to me, that would be, I really would like to try it at some point where they like, will type out a bunch of stuff and they'll go in with literal scissors and cut out phrases and words and then mesh them all up on a table and arrange them like a puzzle. And then that's the song lyric, you know, it's like, that's a way you could do it. I, the way that I most consistently write lyrics is um, I will have the musical idea kind of turning around in my head and in a way it sort of haunts me and I can't put it down. And so I'll like go for a walk or um, do something where there isn't sort of a distracting element. So for me, it's like going for a walk in the woods is perfect because you're just, you have the sound of birds and your feet crunching on the ground um, uh, or a disparate voice in the background or something like that. And then uh, I'll let the, the sort of, the center of the idea come forward. It's a word or maybe a phrase. And then what will happen if you give it enough space, stuff just sort of cascades. And a lot of it's nonsense. Just blah, 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 blah. And, but to me, it's not really the, the point to edit it yet. You just let the cascade happen. You let that kind of avalanche take place. And then the dust settles. You're like, wow, I got all this material around me. I have no idea what it means. Oh, I know what this line means. And then here we go. And then, and then there's like a second effect cascade that happens where that left brain, more analytical part of us shows up and makes sense of it. And then it becomes a little bit more linear. And then voila, there's like a song lyric or there's another way you could go about it. A melody will just sort of show up in the shower or while you're driving and like, ooh, this is a cool melody. This is a nice like major minor progression. And then you just keep singing it because it's enjoyable to sing. And then somewhere in there, while you're not even really thinking about it, like a phrase will kind of drop down from the ether for no reason at all. You know, it's really, it's weird. It's a weird process and it's quite hard to make sense of it. So I think just for me, I stopped trying to make sense of it. And I just sort of, you just leave the door open and see what comes through. And what comes through is a lot of um, unconscious material that probably needs to be looked at. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's one of the amazing things about art and the potential of art is that it is uh, a group of people internationally and historically who have decided to give space to that unconscious material. It comes forward and a lot of it uh, can be applied to like culture or uh, the psychology of a culture or the psychology of a society, or the maybe the, the nascent spirituality of a culture. You know, there's all these different things. It's just brimming with potential. And so it's continually fascinating and exciting to me um, to even have like one tiny little small corner of that experience is worth
1: doing. It feels like it's a lifetime when you're like explaining this process. Like it feels like so much goes on before you actually get to that one lyric that we get to listen to. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> In, in saying that, during these 10 tracks, which one do you feel the most challenged? Like, which song challenged you the most, whether it was the writing process or the actual production
0: process? Mm. That's a good question. Um, I I don't know. This record really, like, it happened really quickly. Lyrically, mostly, you know, I, didn't, I, I started almost from scratch. There were two tracks that I had already recorded when I met John, the, the two covers. on the the album, um, the track um, Fly on Your Wall, which is an Angel Olsen song. And then the very last song on the record, it's called The End of the World. It's by Aphrodite's Child. The rest of it was just like, here, check out this music idea. Ooh, this is awesome. And then just ideas kind of flood forth. In fact, the first track that we wrote together was um, the first song on the record. It's called Diamond My Dryer. And it happened so kind of like organically and effortlessly. I was like, we need to, we might need to make a record together. This was, this was really enjoyable and really just flowed. And um, I don't remember what the next tracks we wrote together were, but that one is like a really good example. It was like these two guys who never met. Here, check this out. Boom, hop, cool song right away. You know, it's like a good indicator.
1: That's cool. That's my favorite song on, on the album. Um, oh, thank you. And that's crazy that you weren't even planning on writing this record with him until this song happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's wow. so true. Um, we just There was so much uncertainty in those early days of times. Um, I think we were all kind of thinking it would be over in a month or two months. And then at the three-month mark, it was like, it's gonna be over soon. And then you know, fast forward two years later, it's crazy. It's so crazy. Um, but I'm happy that I was able to record a record and have it be, um, a, create something that was kind of like unique for for me and, and also have something like writing a record to help make sense of the experience, you know? Right, right.
1: Um, at the same time with John, um, since it's the first time that you guys work together,
0: hmm.
1: how would you say that he challenged you and helped you step out of your, your comfort zone? Cause you know, being in a, or doing music for 30 years, you know, you feel like you've been here for so long, like you, you might run out of ideas or material, or you might just feel comfortable. So how did he make you step out of that comfort zone?
0: It was mostly just with the, uh, the ideas that we were kind of sharing back and forth. There was, I don't remember there being anything that felt lukewarm. All of it was just like, whoa, this is cool. This excites me to listen to this. And it's bringing out um, ideas in me that otherwise probably wouldn't have surfaced, you know? And that kind of just reminds me that if we are in a particular uh, head and heart space around creativity, there really isn't... um, a bottom to the well or there is no ceiling it's like it it it's a little bit like um like an abundance philosophy like it the, the places where these ideas and all ideas and art are coming from um it, it, in my kind of experience and in my estimation they are places that are limitless they are infinite and very 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 poorly understood and so even if it's my imagination that is granting them as limitless and infinite in their abundance, it's still a constructive fantasy that I'm employing. <laughs> it's bringing a great deal of joy and uh, creative um, wonderment into my life, and is creating a, it's making a, a more enriched life. You know, just just being selfish about it, and so I love to encourage when I see other people who are creative and meet other people who experience their lives and make sense of their lives through creativity um, you know we all run into this conversation of what do you do when you get writer's block when you feel blocked and my answer is always uh, i don't take it personally because it's so easy for us to identify with the egoic part of making art you know, like I made this, like, I'm a rock star. I'm, you know, I'm a golden God. That whole idea, like I ride the snake, you know, <laughs> I'm the snake rider, that whole thing. And, and, and God bless. That's if you're having that experience and it it's good for you. That's awesome. I personally don't, I think that I have less to do with it than, um, than we, than we've really given it credit for. And so in a way it's kind of, um, negating the idea of the rock star. I don't think it's the people that we've learned to idolize that are, I know they made it, but I think that the people that have been the best at it historically are the ones that sort of left the door open and they've allowed whatever this thing is that is so poorly understood to sort of flow through them. So the artist is a little bit more like the pen as opposed to the ink in the pen. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does, damn. I just got my degree <laughs> well Brennan, i can I can keep talking to you forever, but I know you got a long uh, a long day ahead, so we'll just wrap it up with congratulations with this record. Um, I'm excited for this material, and I'm looking forward to reuniting again sometime soon.
0: Thank you so much, man. I'm happy to uh, uh, know that we have been animated together
1: <laughs> likewise. <laughs>